Welcome to the I'm a Health Visitor podcast. We want to help health visitors stay up to date, so we're here to give evidence-based information and insight into relevant practice issues. We're currently supported by the CPHVA Education Development Trust, McQueen Bursary. Hi, it's Amy here. And Jenny here. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hi. Thanks for joining us. We're going to talk about a really interesting topic today, which I think is um, probably going to be something that every health visitor comes across most days. Um, I was going to which... say, definitely. Yeah, literally constantly. And probably a lot of us still feel slightly um, confused by, because I know I do all the time. So I'm looking forward to learning a lot from you here. Yeah, I think either confused by or just have fallen into a bit of a, oh, this needs to happen, I'll do this. And yes. not even really thinking about the uh, the uniqueness of each situation, shall we say. Yeah. So we're talking about formula top-ups, aren't we? So yeah. We've well, got... top-ups generally, really, because they don't always have to be formula. Top-ups. Good point. Yeah, top-ups. But... So we're talking specifically here about one a couple of specific scenarios aren't we really we're not talking about combination feeding more broadly so we have got an episode um which we're recording um at the minute with the wonderful lucy ruddle ibclc and which is going to be on more broad issues around combination feeding and valuing combination feeding and how important it is and how we want to um give it more credit really um if it's not talking it's a great one to uh listen to because we love speaking to lucy didn't we yes and it will definitely be kind of complementary to this episode so um but in this case we're talking more specifically about the scenario where baby's being given extra milk after a feed usually because of weight concerns, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about so, what we're talking about and what we're not? Because you're really the expert here. I'm in your hands. Yeah, well, I think the best place for us to start is to consider the NICE guidelines. Um, okay. Because I think this is kind of the framework that if anyone has any um, sort of standard operating procedures around this, this is what yeah. it should be based around. And I think also it's just quite interesting to see actually, from my point of view, how the guidelines are very strong from the point of view of identifying where babies are struggling, mm-hmm. but actually become vaguer and vaguer the further into oh. it you go around actually giving you a clear structure as to what you should be what doing. to do. Oh, um, so the faltering growth guidelines were most recently updated last April, so April 2020. Beware, okay. because when you're Googling, and I've fallen into this trap researching this podcast, the 2017 mm-hmm. guidelines still come up as well. Yeah. Now, there's not many specific changes, but there was a particular thing that caught me out that made me realise that I'd got the wrong guideline, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, okay. But they, they discuss how weight loss is very common in the first few days, um, but should stop after day three to four. And okay. ideally should return to birth weight by um, three weeks old. So this was three a big change old. that came in a few years back. It always used to be by two weeks. Yeah. It always used to be the expectation was by the time we saw them on day 14, baby would be back at full birth weight and alarm bells yeah. should ring. 
So they've now said, and it's been policy for a little while now, saying that actually, yeah, by three weeks, we expect them to be back to birth weight. Okay. Um, what I still don't see coming through, and it's something I first heard talked about many moons ago, around the accuracy of birth weights. And if mm-hmm. baby has been weighed in the first sort of hour or so after birth, how accurate that actually is. Um, because of all the extra fluid that they're carrying, and especially if mum has had IV fluids, if it's been a long labour, or a C-section, then baby's weight, birth weight is often exaggerated. And And interestingly, there's still no... Sorry? No, I was just thinking, the other example I can think with that is if um, mum's had gestational diabetes, isn't there often um, baby's birth weight can be a little bit... Or is that mm. not? So gestation, gestational diabetes could be a whole different episode. So I had oh, gestational really? diabetes okay. twice. <laughs> yeah. And so I know from my own research that I did when I, because I, I'd never heard of gestational diabetes 11 months ago. Oh, 11 months ago, sorry, 11 years ago. <laughs> 11 years ago, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you definitely had 11 months ago. But um, but actually, it's only a very, very tiny proportion of babies. I think it's only like 15% of babies, even in undiagnosed, undetected, unmanaged gestational diabetes, are macrosomal. So oh, okay. it's a bit of a oh, so. false truth. That, that. Oh, okay. Well, that's um, interesting to know, because I definitely would have thought that that would have been a factor. So thanks for that. Yeah, I'm literally no. going to be just learning so much from you in this episode <laughs> that's all right that's all right as so long as you can edit it down into something presentable that's okay <laughs> <laughs> no well hopefully i'm asking all the questions that everyone at home will be thinking <laughs> oh no completely completely so what i thought was really handy and really good to bear in mind for um, clinics and things is this sort of real sort of guidelines so yeah we expect weight loss in the first sort of three to four days but then it should stop and they should be back up at birth weight if at any point the weight loss is over 10 Mm percent then they need to be assessed for signs of dehydration illness and disorders and to get a detailed history um, and assessment of feeding i will be coming back to the assessment of feeding in a bit yeah so obviously that's Um, the main meat isn't it yeah yeah so the key things around this around faltering growth are yeah you know, a 10% drop of weight in the first few days being below birth weight at 3 weeks a fall of 1 centile space if below the ninth centile a fall of 2 centile spaces if between the 9 and the 91st centile mm-hmm. or a fall in 3 centile spaces if oh. over the 91st centile oh that's so now interesting that- that was so the news kind of, to me. Yeah, me too. So the whole like rule of thumb of two centiles actually isn't. That's only applies between the ninth and the ninety first. So Which, if they're in the outlying the, centile spaces, it's different. It's slightly different, and because also if they're below the sec, if their weight is below the second centile space, whatever their birth weight, they should be seen as having faltering growth. Blimey. Even though we know about 2% of the population are going to be below Will be, that with no problems, yeah. So, anyway. hang on, so if they're below the ninth centile, they should automatically be seen as having faltering growth, even if they were born on... Sorry, if they're below if the second centile. Below the second centile, yes. 
even if they were born on that second centile, they've gained consistently, they haven't lost weight, they've continued to feed beautifully and they're still on that second centile at three weeks old. So I believe this is where there is an element of clinical judgment and assessment and mm. a little bit of practical common sense. Yes, to come common sense. It. Yeah. Okay. I think it's good to be have a bit of a raised awareness. Mm-hmm. But do I am I going to be saying that every child below the second centile needs to have top ups? Or needs no. to have a pediatrician review. Yeah. It's it's a it's um it's one that I find a little bit kind of um and I know it is that thing where yeah, we know what we don't want is to have that that thing of oh well mum and dad are tiny, baby's obviously tiny and missing feeding issues. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I think we need to tread carefully. We need to be looking at doing a full assessment and mm-hmm. having someone with the correct expertise doing that assessment. Yeah. Um, and it's that thing with, you know, they talk about having this direct observation of feeding and that to ensure the observation is done by a person with appropriate training or expertise. However, there is nothing that I found in the um, in the guideline really fully suggesting what that would look like, what um, what that person's qualifications and experience yeah. should be. What counts as Which, appropriate expertise. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, and now this is where I knew that I was on the wrong guidelines earlier, because um, on my my personal business account, I post I posted a few stories on this the other day because I was just so kind of completely sort of shocked at what I'd seen what I was seeing in things I was like what on earth um because they do go on to have a list of healthcare experience or healthcare professionals with expertise in faltering growth okay um in the guideline and they start off with infant feeding specialists which is Okay, but okay. we know that within health visiting teams, the infant feeding specialists are often normally more infant feeding leads. It's yeah. often more of a, um, especially policy if you're going through the BFI job. accreditation, it's a policy-driven yeah. strategic job. Yeah. Um, also, we know that very rarely is are they actually needing to be an IBCLC or have any sort of, yeah. you know, they, they need to have a, a drive and a passion for infant feeding. Yeah, but yeah, no yeah, and a certain level of knowledge and experience. Qualification. But yeah, yeah, not yeah. necessarily required to be IBCLC. No, so it then says about consultant paediatricians. Okay. Um, which is yeah, okay. We might need to rule out things. Yeah, but the there may well time, be medical elements to faltering growth where yeah. their expertise is really important. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Um, but again, we know if we're looking at a baby of a few weeks old. Often their breastfeeding knowledge is just not there. Okay? No, not necessarily, um, yeah. No, and paediatric dietitians, I mean, okay. useful from the point of view of an older child with faltering growth and being able to assess the diet properly. Useful if there is a cow's milk protein allergy and they're yeah. needing to restrict maternal diet to ensure she still, Absolutely. Um, she, they still get their full quota and for introducing solids to a baby who's allergic. Speech and language therapists with expertise in feeding and eating difficulties. Now, one of my favourite IBCLC accounts is at Feed, Eat, Speak. 
um, who, if you haven't heard of, I really recommend going and following because she's mm-hmm. amazing. And I know through my IBCLC journey, I've met several speech and language therapists who are amazing, who do all the assessments of swallowing and work yeah. in NICU and really sort of help to get babies um, feeding and help overcome issues and problems. Clinical psychologists, again, for older children with food aversion and food difficulties, okay. Occupational therapists, what? okay. <laughs> We're starting to drift now. Well, drifting more towards the older children. Yeah, exactly. Is this, hang on, is this guideline supposed to be for everyone with faltering growth? Any child with faltering growth? Yes, so it does talk about, yes, yes. Okay. They talk about the child from birth to a year old and a year up. So they have a broader reach. Okay. Very bottom of the list is lactation consultants. And it doesn't say international board certified lactation consultant. It just says lactation consultant. No. So as we know, lactation consultant yeah. is not a protected term. So anyone can call themselves no. that. Yeah, exactly. But it is really important because we have this serious issue between healthcare professionals and IBCLCs where yeah. the IBCLC role is not valued, is not seen as important. Um, mm. And it's like it feeds down because if NICE aren't recognising it, our commissioners and managers aren't recognising it. Yeah. So we're going to be in a really tricky position. I think um, it's a shame because I think sometimes health visitors see it as a threat, you know, because, like, they think, oh, breastfeeding, definitely. that's our bit. Like, we're supposed to do breastfeeding yeah. support. And that's not to say that there isn't a really important role for health visitors in breastfeeding support and no, formula feeding no. support. It's it's a vital part of um, your yeah. job. Of course it is. And that's yeah. why we're here we are. We're a podcast called I Am A Health Visitor and we're recording an episode on giving top-ups because that knowledge is yeah. needed by those professionals exactly. so exactly but it's also about recognizing where more specialist support is yeah, needed as well definitely and because it's that thing would we argue with a perinatal mental health team taking on the no. care planning or exactly. inputting into us for mums with postnatal depression well no yeah, we it's wouldn't. just a specialist because input, we know there's a, the same as any exactly, other exactly exactly mm-hmm. and it's actually that thing where i think I know from having worked on teams with IBCLCs in place and um, it really helps raise the game of everyone. Everyone benefits from it, the families, the staff, because you have that, that knowledge is raised yeah, and awareness. Absolutely. And the more you realise that there are answers to some of these questions that you might have had and not realised before, yeah, yeah, the more yeah. your thirst for knowledge is increasing and that can only improve the service and what you're able to offer absolutely anyway so um so sorry yeah you were talking about the nice guidelines weren't you and why why we might need a top up yeah and so looking at the kind of the assessment and again there's very little on what the assessment should actually involve mm-hmm. um it seems to lead towards more using the the sort of the bfi assessment tool that i think mm-hmm. most of us have um, a slip to put into red books and things yeah around you know number of feeds a day so is it you know and even then it says you yeah, between eight and 12 but for some young babies it's like you know when does what what counts as one feed you know yeah, yeah. if they're off it can be hard for, yeah. if they doze off and they nap for 20 minutes and then go back for the second breast is that feed number two or is that a continuation of feed number one yeah um, so but i mean at least eight feeds a day we're looking at and it's more the duration between feeds you know we want 
to have, you know, sort of at least eight, 12 or more feeds a day, fine. And it's having that knowledge to think, okay, if you've got someone who's saying the baby's never off of them, then we need to look at what's happening. If yeah. you've got someone who's saying, oh, the baby's going four hours between feet, yeah, breastfeeds, again, we need to be That's a worry encouraging too. more. Yeah. So it's like knowing that. And, yeah, the output is all important as well at this point. Making sure output is um, kind of, by the time we see them at two weeks old, at least sort of six to eight wet nappies a day, two good-sized mm-hmm. poos a day. And, yeah, that mm-hmm. we know that can vary from baby to baby. But below six weeks old, we do not want to be going days between poos. I think it's yeah. been something of a common misconception where you think, oh, because they're breastfeeding, that's fine for them to go for a few days because everything's so bioavailable and it's mm-hmm. just that they're absorbing everything and actually before six weeks old that's not the case you know if they're mm-hmm. not pooing every day the chances are there is an issue with intake and how okay. much they're getting in okay, okay. so poos is um, a really good clear reliable indicator that you definitely can use. Definitely. And there are some amazing um, graphics. If you follow, there's some brilliant IBCLCs to follow on Instagram, including um, Catherine, Catherine Stagg, who we did the episode with about twins and and twins and multiples. Um, She has some amazingly brilliant, clear graphics um, Mm. that are lovely to to use and really clear to understand. Um, And it's definitely worth, you know, if you're looking at, if you are on Instagram looking at curating a, a, a public health feed for yourself mm-hmm. um, to look up things of professional interest is definitely worth a, a follow um, and let us know if there was an interest in you know how to create a public health um, Instagram feed let us know because that's one that I would love to uh, to do for everyone and present and things um, but yeah so you're also looking at you know um, looking at sort of the feeding duration how is um ba- is baby coming off the breast satisfied and mum's nipples intact? Yeah. Are they nice and rounded still? Are they pointy? Um, you know, is baby actually settling well between feeds? Are they using a dummy or anything? All these things, you know, that I don't need I don't think I need to go through absolutely everything on that no, checklist. No, no, no. It yeah, we haven't got time. Well established anyway. in your head. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but then looking at the NICE guideline, it then goes on to talk about having a management plan with specific goals, right? Um, which I think is where we kind of end up falling into this trap of, well, if we need to have specific goals and we need to see a result, then we need to make action now. And I've not got time to see if anything else I recommend could make a difference Works. or even I don't know what else to recommend to make a difference. Yeah. So we go straight into doing these top ups. Things mm. that they note as well on the, the NICE guidelines and the new postnatal guidelines, which I think we're going to go through in another episode. Yes. I think there's a lot in there for us to discuss. There is, for sure. Um, but that does, the, between the two of them, they also talk between the faltering growth and the postnatal, the postnatal. care one. They I'll also, link to the postnatal they also, ones as well. Yeah. They also talk about doing um, assessments and investigations. So if there was any concern for something like celiac disease, interventions clinical growth and monitoring and whether they need to plan to and refer to pediatric specialist care services Mm -hmm. in the postnatal care guidelines they talk a bit about what we should be able to tell parents about but also a Uh little bit more about the um about 
the assessment and looking for signs of good effect, good attachment at the breast and effective milk transfer. And we'll go over those in a second because I think that's something which isn't sometimes so clear. And there's been a few tweaks to what um what we talk about um in recent times that I've become more aware of that I think are kind of dissipating more widely. So with this basis, when we're mm-hmm. looking at mother and baby feeding together and mm-hmm. We're seeing them for maybe the new birth visit or a subsequent visit or a clinic contact. We've yeah. weighed them. The weight's not quite what we expect it to be. So a new birth visit, we often get that chance to observe a feed. And yeah. things you can be looking out for are the, ba- you know, the basics, positioning and attachment, the yeah. um, you know, looking out for signs of effective milk transfer. So... From the point of view of positioning attachment, we still talk about nose to nipple, but what we often talk a lot about now is having chin to skin and mm-hmm. having the chin tucked right into the breast mm-hmm. when the nose is at the nipple because we know that then if they're that close, when they tip the head back and open the mouth, the nipple is pretty much going to be falling into the mouth. Okay, mm-hmm. And just looking out for that and pulling them close in tucking bum in and looking at them you always want baby to be looking up at the breast as yeah. they're um, as they're feeding so if they're in cradle hold then they're going to always be wanting to look past mum's arm at yeah. sort of the corner of the sofa or something yeah if they're in an upright position then looking upright to, um, looking in a laid back position looking yeah. upright at mum to mum's face and things in fact, that just goes to guarantee a bit or goes to show a bit more with the laid back position, how it is obviously meant to be that position. Yeah. Baby is naturally looking up in mum's eyes. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, what you don't want, and it's just to get that chin extended so that we know they've got a really good, clo- good latch, effective and deep. Okay. Yeah. And with the milk transfer, it's that thing of looking out for them doing ideally one. Um, so you do the fast flutters to begin with. Then when the milk starts flowing, they're ideally, ideally doing one suck to one swallow. So mm-hmm. there's this kind of gulp, gulp, gulp. Mm-hmm. What might, you might see sometimes is gulp, gulp, gulp. Yeah. And very... And if baby's weight gain is really slow, what you may be seeing is gulp, gulp. And if Mm. you're seeing three sucks to a swallow, then baby is using three times more energy to get the milk. Yeah. Okay. And so it's a sign that, you know, it may be less effective transfer is an issue, less effective. Mm -hmm. And that to me would be something which would indicate maybe needing to be referred to your specialist feeding teams. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't got a specialist feeding team, would maybe be thinking, mm, are we able to give this mum the support that she needs, this dyad, this mum and baby, the support they need? Mm. Should we maybe be looking at doing a day text to highlight that actually it's an issue that we can't just resolve? Because if that's going on, you can give them a top up, but it's not going to resolve the issue that they've got. Yeah, yeah? sure. If we can't get on top of what is actually called causing that problem with milk transfer then we can top up and top up and top up but they're still going to have an issue so it's like that thing with top ups there always has to be an element of a follow-up regarding the feeding we can't just start the top ups and hope that everything falls into place 
Okay. Well, and even if you do follow it up, I suppose it's about the mum's choice, isn't it? Because we know that yeah. lots of parents in that scenario, um, we're thinking from a typical picture of a baby not gaining weight and a mum who wants to breastfeed. Um, and they're often started on top ups. And then maybe we might review the top ups, we might see that the child's weight's gone up and then oh, brilliant, that's all great then, kind of thing. But actually, what that's then when the work starts, isn't it? <laughs> really, yeah, from the perspective definitely. of that, that parent definitely. and baby, because they might still be really keen to breastfeed. And they yeah. absolutely yeah, can, yeah, yeah. you know, there's no yeah. reason. The top up is a short term thing. Yeah. And it's that thing where we'll talk in a second, but the top ups definitely have to go with maintaining and maximizing mum's milk supply. supply as well yeah so something that which might work as well um alongside or even instead of top-ups if you're happy that the latch is looking is is correct so pain-free for mum deep chins chins into the breast and nose is almost slightly away so you always want baby angled so it's more leading with the chin than the nose mm. i think having mm. no snipple is meant we've often thought the nose has to be right in there but actually if the nose is right into the breast often the chin's tucked in and yeah I mean, sure i know amy can see me over zoom at the moment but you know <laughs> like that position is not as effective yeah, yeah. as that position yeah so think of um think of eating a burger think of eating an apple and how how you position yourself then and that's almost how babies should be at the breast um what you can also do is a breast compression and we'll link in the blurb to a really good um page but um that i i use a lot about breastfeeding um breast compressions yeah and breast compression is where mum literally squ- as baby is latched and actively sucking mum squeezes and holds the breast so it's not like a bike pump. We're not pumping up and down, not like a set of bellows. <laughs> it's literally a squeeze and hold while baby is actively sucking. And yeah. that increases the pressure inside the breast, makes the milk flow faster and can suddenly change that ratio of sucks to swallows from three to one to one to one. Okay. Yeah. Meaning more milk is transferred and the more milk that's transferred, the more baby stays awake, the more baby actually feeds for a longer period of time. And has perhaps the energy to feed more. Exactly, exactly. Mm. It's a really simple trick that maximises stimulation, maximises milk transfer. Um, and yeah, we have these things where you, we talk about babies being sleepy or the one I hate is when parents tell me they've been told that they've been told their baby's lazy. Lazy. There's I no such thing as a lazy that. baby. There's yeah. a baby who's preserving its energy because it's not getting the milk flow it needs. Yes. Um, and this yeah. is something which can be done alongside um top ups really straightforwardly really easily okay Fine. and so yeah that's sort of one thing but also what seemed to be missing as well from the guideline was much talk about um tongue tie um because mm-hmm. tongue tie we know is another thing that can restrict how effectively baby can latch and how effectively yeah. baby can transfer milk also need to consider a few maternal reasons for poor milk supply so we need to think about whether there is any risk that mum has um hyperplasia or insufficient glandular tissue mm-hmm. and so isn't maybe able to make as much milk if mum lost a lot of blood during um labor we need to think about is it um shehan syndrome where mm-hmm. um actually the pituitary gland is starved of blood supply and just yeah. gives up the ghost mm-hmm. also um could there be a thyroid issue 
that can sometimes mm. come up um, postnatally that can reduce supply. Um, could mum even have retained placental products if mum's still bleeding heavily, complaining of abdo pain? That's something which needs to be actioned very quickly. And we'd hope that yeah. our midwifery colleagues would be on the ball with that. But sometimes yeah. it can be us who are the ones to spot that. Yeah. Um, and so you know, have to think about these things as well. Yeah, you're looking at reasons why um, the milk transfer not, might not be as optimal as we would hope for. So that might be reasons to do with the baby, um, like tongue tie or some kind of oral um, anatomy problem. Um, reasons to do with yeah. the mum and her supply or yeah. her medical history. And it also might be to do with the position and attachment and the latch. Um, exactly. So you're, you're trying to identify the problem, really. Yeah, and this is like, we're doing a real broad strokes here. I mean, I could literally make oh, a whole literally. podcast series just out of each of those issues. Of course, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, but I, what I'm hoping is that it helps, you know, Donald Rumsfeld always talked about the unknown unknowns. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have the known, no, you have the known knowns, the known unknowns, but yes, it's the unknown the unknowns. unknowns that are the yes, issue. So... Yeah, if we've gone, gone through all of that and we're still like, right, they definitely need to top up, okay? First option should always be for, to top up with mum's milk. So we know if you're in a BFI accredited um, trust, you have had training on how to um, how to teach hand expressing. You've been taught, taught it and assessed teaching it, okay? Mm-hmm. So this is where, yeah, initially even if they've got, you know, nothing else around no pump available or anything then actually hand hand expression is fantastic technique to help stimulate to help um take some milk off the breast and to you know be able to maybe do the top up and things so or even if not doing the whole top up doing something in those early days um they only need quite small volumes i mean i suppose i'm thinking midwifery really rather than health visiting that stage but it depends how early you're doing your new birth but you know if you were doing it day nine day ten they're still having quite small volumes and actually you might be able to um really supplement the baby's milk transfer at the breast with a bit of hand expressing and also it really helps mum's confidence doesn't it Definitely. It really helps mum's yeah. confidence to actually see, oh, actually, wait, my breasts are producing milk, you know. Yeah. Um, that can be a really reassuring exactly. thing for a mum that's doubting herself and doubting her body. Yeah, completely. And also, it's that thing, if baby hasn't, for whatever reason, been latching effectively, mum's likely to be really engorged, which is then, it then makes it even more difficult for baby to to latch latch. so actually doing a bit of hand expressing do a bit of reverse pressure softening can Mm. help to relieve that pressure to make Mm. the breast softer to make it easier for baby to latch so it might be might be that mum already has a pump there's so much pressure these days when I say pressure there is so much advertising around oh you're having a baby or you're planning to breastfeed or you need to buy this or you need to buy that from all the big sort of department stores and anyone and everyone who's got commercial gains to make from the the new parent pound Mm -hmm. so so many parents try and buy pumps before they even have baby because they just assume everyone has them everyone needs them so they may already have a pump. You can go through them how to use that. By the time we're seeing them, milk's normally come in. So they're, And if it's that thing where, although we say generally not to express until milk supply is established, if baby's weight is faltering, 
if they're needing top-ups, if they're not effectively draining the breast, mm. then top up then actually pumping is brilliant because it's going to stop mum's milk gradually stopping and slowing in supply mm. terms so yeah we and we'll link to some information about expressing um but because it's more the calculating the top ups that we're talking about today maybe we can do a we need do a follow up on how to actually express yeah, around sure. this and things yeah the key things are that, that yeah exactly so the key things would be i mean we look at if if your mum was fully replacing all feeds with pump milk we'd be looking at needing them to express at least eight times a day mm-hmm. um if they're pumping to do top-ups it kind of very depends on how well feeding is generally and how many top-ups a day they're needing to do so mm. it could be you could be anywhere from needing top up with every feed to maybe only needing top up a couple of times a day, depending mm. on the volume involved and how well mm. baby's taking it. Mm. So um, looking for further guidance, but looking at the pump, be you know, fitting effectively, and because we're some we're one of the few practitioners who would be in the home with mum, able yeah. to look at the flange and everything, check it fits effectively. Yeah. And there's information we can link to on that. When it comes to actually working out the size of the top up, which I think is the big thing, because we often end up using the formula around which um, for around which top ups are or sort of formula feeds are calculated in hospital. Yes, um, where they go for the sort of the hundred and fifty mils per kilogram per day. Yeah, and then you're left going, oh well, eight times a day, this works out to X amount of milk. Yeah, um, but if we recommend that as a top up, that's pretty much a full feed. I mean, yeah, that's not a top up, that's a feed. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. And so many parents struggle, and the baby ends up having the top up, but then being too sleepy to feed at the breast. Yeah, because then they're um, not hungry to feed at the breast. Exactly. Exactly. They've had They've a full been feed. Yeah. And it might be very difficult for that mum to be able to express that volume of milk. So you're then yeah. leading into that top-up trap, aren't you? Yeah. So, I mean, I know of babies who are a week old who have been... Mum has been advised to give a 70 mil top-up every feed mm-hmm. when their tummy size is only 30 to 45 mils typically at that point. That was me, so... Jenna, um, three days. Yeah. But three days exactly. I was advised to top-up with 60 mils of formula after every feed. Oh at three days God. old. <laughs> Jeez. I think it's just 60 mils seems to be the standard. 60 mils seem to be the standard. Yeah. yeah and, and the answer, when I challenged that, the answer was that that's what they were aiming to do, was to stretch her tummy. They wanted to stretch <gasps> her tummy. That was the goal. God. So, yes, it will stretch her tummy, and that's what we want to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's that thing of, so where's the evidence that that's a good thing? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have um, a brilliant book. Um, I've created quite a wonderful library. I'm using the word created more than I've ever used before in this podcast. Um, but I have a brilliant <laughs> book called Making More Milk um, by Lisa Morasco and Diana West. And I think it is an essential, if you have funding for any new books for your team, I would put mm-hmm. this really highly on the list. It's okay. written in a really straightforward way, um, almost like it's talking to the mother. 
Yeah. Um, but it's it's not a book I would really recommend to mothers because I think it does go a bit too in-depth for most of their needs. However, yeah. from our point of view of working with families, it's brilliant because we don't have to then decode what it says to then give the information to parents. To translate it. in a digestible form. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So they talk about, yeah, when looking at how to... Um, how to um, work out the um, supplementation and things. Um, it's that thing of, yeah, we're not looking at increasing the length of time between feeds because we know the breasts continue to want that stimulation. Mm. So when we're doing these top-ups, we need to be aware of that. We need to be making sure it works with, from the point of view of enabling constant regular stimulation. Because if we go too long, if a baby's been feeding maybe every hour because it's not been feeding getting satisfied if we suddenly have it where they're on four hour feeds that means the, the boobs are going to be getting you know much less stimulation and milk production yeah. will actually probably slow down okay yeah so the most effective method which i think is useful for health is just to use is looking at using the weight gain deficit information okay so we know and bear with me a moment because i've just realized i've lost page oh yes no so we know in week one baby might lose seven to ten percent of birth weight and Mm -hmm. would expect that to regain in week two we're expecting them to gain about 30 grams every day okay Mm -hmm. so by the time we see them they should be putting on 30 grams or one ounce every day okay from seven days old that is from seven from seven days old yeah yeah in weeks between weeks three to four, they gain around about eight or nine ounces. That's about, you know, just over 30 grams a day. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then in month by month two, they're gaining, they're back to gaining just under 30 grams a day. Okay. Yeah. So 30 so grams is a good kind of. So around about 30 grams is a good thing. And it's that thing where we can then look, if we've got their last weight recorded, we know in the number of days since that weight, we would expect them to have put yeah. on 30 grams a day. Okay? Yeah. So if they haven't, and ideally you'd want to take this reading, this measure over a week. Okay. Mm-hmm. But what you can always do is work out what on the trajectory that they're growing, they're going to be this much under. So yeah, we will know if baby's weight gain is below 210 grams in a week. Um, yeah we know to to act and it's that thing if you work out what the deficit is so if for example they've only gained 60 grams in the last week yeah we know that they are they're sort of missing 150 mils or 150 grams their, their desired weight okay yeah so you take that 150 times it by two so they need to be supplemented 300 mils per day oh right okay Okay. so you're basically doubling their weekly deficit and that's the amount of mils that you would give yeah so the deficit is calculated by working out 30 grams a day that's the target over a week so from day 7 to day 14 you would be looking for or day 14 to day 21 or whatever you're looking for 30 grams a day yeah. You work out what that would be, and uh-huh. then you work out what they've actually gained, and then you take those two numbers and the difference between them, you times that by two, 
and then that's the amount of volume top up they need in yeah. a day over yeah. 24 hours yeah yeah okay so from that example that 300 mils in 24 hours that sounds like a huge amount but actually that's 37 and a half mils every feed. feed and that's a baby that was only gaining 60 grams in a week which is not a lot so exactly they obviously do exactly. need significant top up yeah definitely definitely so this is about personalizing is, it much more isn't it that's much more helpful exactly exactly mm. and it's such a straightforward it's no more complicated than the formulas no, that we would use for drug yeah. for drug calculations yeah yeah um and then it's that thing of you know, that's but that is also that is a starting point so mm. we're not even at the point where we're like right that's it done and dusted our work is done you know, no, no, we sure, go in a cloud of, of glory. Not. But you've at least got um, a rough idea of the volume of top up that you're exactly. supposed to be recommending before you start then looking at what the top up's going to be and how we give it and how we maintain supply exactly. and all the rest of it. But you've got at least an idea. Exactly. Of, rather yeah. than just automatically reaching for 60 mils, which is just the full amount, it assumes they're getting nothing from the breast, which obviously can't be the case because they've, you know, they're because alive they've up gained to now. Weight. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because but because they've gained some weight, so we know yeah, because they've gained weeing, some weight. You know, there's something, and going yeah, on. they're going to have been yeah. So they've been able to get maintain their body, which is all new, all those yeah. sort of homeostasis and everything. They've yeah. gained sixty grams. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So there's there's something going on, something going through, and it's just that little bit to help them with. And so then it's that really thing of working that. out. Sorry, Jen. Do you know what else I really love about that method is I love how valuing that will be to the mum because it really places value on what she's actually doing with her breasts or what that person is doing with their chest. You know, it really actually recognises that because I think it can be so dismissive as a parent to be told, oh, they're basically getting nothing from you. So we need to replace their entire calorie and nutrients with a full top up. And that's this is the amount they should be getting. So therefore, this is the amount we're going to top up. We're going to assume they're getting nothing from you. And that's so dismissive and and inaccurate and unfair. So it actually gives that mum the confidence to say, no, you are giving some breast milk. And you can see also how you would be able to titrate that down as well. And the mum would have the confidence to actually know there's maths behind this. We know that they are getting something. It gives that mum that confidence. I love that about it. Exactly. Okay, great. So that's a really lovely way of calculating um, how much to actually give. You've worked out they need a top up. You've worked out exactly how much top up you need to give them. And that's personalised to that child. Yeah. Um, so what we're left with now then is is the next obvious thing is what do we actually top up with? Because as you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be formula, does it? No, exactly. Exactly. Um, and especially if this is like a stop off on the route to fully breastfeeding, then mm. really what you would ideally hope it could be was express breast milk. Mm. Um, and there's several ways to go about this. So so it's that thing of sometimes having to work around what they have already, because obviously mm. for a lot of families, we don't want to be in a position where we're encouraging them to spend money that they may not have and things. Mm. Um, but, you know, ideally, um, and it, it depends, there's such a big difference between someone who's maybe giving, needing to give 30, 40 mil top up a couple of times a day to someone who actually is at the point where they are almost mainly um, expressing and topping up and then just trying to get babies starting to get used to the feed. The important thing is that we're working to maintain mum's 
milk supply and help build it as well yeah so if we go from the sort of the minimal end so the minimal end of topping up um it could be that mum is able to do some hand expressing and yeah. that actually becoming more practiced and experienced with the hand expressing into a sterilized bottle or a sterilized cup or something that they are then able to collect a good amount that they can look at saving mm. up each day i'm going to talk mm. about how to save the milk in a moment yeah okay. um it could be that mummy's using a hacker or something similar, one of these like silicon bulb shaped pumps. Yeah. And that is something which you can actually put onto one breast. It uses a bit of suction. So you flick back the flange and yes, squeeze I've, the bulb. I was doing this wrong with mine when I had my little one and I got one of these silicon things. And I was, mm -hmm. it was causing me so much pain. It was making me really sore. And I oh, was like, crumbs. this thing's rubbish. This thing's rubbish. And then eventually I was like, do you know what? Actually, I haven't even looked at how to put it on. I literally opened it, squeezed it and stuck it on my boob as <gasps> if like, I didn't even look it, I didn't even look it up or anything. Right. Because I just thought it's so obvious on how to use it. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah. Clearly not, folks. So you have to fold that flangey bit back yeah before yeah. you squeeze it and then you yes. put your nipple in the hole in the middle of the hole and then you flip the flange back up and if you don't yeah. do that what you end up is very sore nipples <laughs> well yeah because it's just literally yeah because what happens with yeah with pulling the flange back first means that you can center it properly onto your breasts on yeah. across over your nipples so that your nipple's not going to get trapped um, mm. and actually increases that bit of suction the thing to remember with the hacker is I think a lot of people are under the impression it just collects the letdown it yeah. does actually offer some stimulation so if you're in a situation where you're not needing to top up this can lead to actually help increasing your milk supply yeah, maybe you without you actually realizing and needing to do that yeah you might not necessarily um, want that yeah. no um electric pumps are something which families often have um i'd say more so even than some of the hand pumps and manual pumps yeah um i mean a colleague used to joke about them um be yeah you know, comparing them to cars and saying about you know the kind of the hospital grade pump is like the formula one um <laughs> the sort of the electric pumps are kind of like your your ford fiesta your ford Qashqai. they're going to get you from ford Qashqai, nissan Qashqai. apologies for any car lovers listening <laughs> who uh yeah you know, just misnamed a car um but they they kind of yeah they're the regular reliable they'll get you from a to b um yeah, yeah great it works all right they do the job yeah and then the hand pumps they used to describe as being a bit like a robin reliant <laughs> <laughs> or a fiat oh, punto dear. you know sort of lower grade kind of just yeah, every <laughs> every journey you cross your fingers on the yeah like right we got through it okay um <laughs> but yeah really and true, so, actually that's a good analogy i like that. definitely yeah. and so it's that thing of working out you know if it, yeah it, if you're looking at doing and and it might be as well that you're you're not needing to express that much but mm. that actually your long-term plan is to combi feed is mm. to be able to express so something that electric pump could be an, a good investment for you yeah if however you're really Sorry, when having... you say combi feed there you mean combined ebm express breast milk and directly breastfeeding don't you rather than combined yeah. formula and um and breast milk yeah although you can end up with someone who's combining breast milk of ebm course. and formula so it's of kind course. of and you know it's always like tick all the boxes yeah, yeah, yeah. any of the but above. if you're planning in the long term to do expressing then probably buying an electric pump is a sensible yes. way to go 
yeah definitely definitely it I think depends some, on parents preference yeah, doesn't completely it? and some guys do do it where I mean their, their hand expressing skills become amazing yeah, and they yeah. do find that as quick as and more gentle because they can go at their own body's pace and they can yeah. you know by touch know how much pressure they need to apply and things you just get more practice don't you at yeah. knowing kind of which areas of the breast are going to be the most prolific exactly. at producing milk exactly. or you know you, you get yeah. to know your own body which is a skill Definitely. in itself useful, yeah um but the the thing if you're in a position where you're having to do the majority of express feeds and you're at a point where you're you're needing to express you know eight, I mean, if you're fully replacing all of baby's feeds with express milk you need to be expressing at least eight times a day and yeah. it's a couple of those times in the early hours because that's when your hormone levels are highest if you imagine mm. back in the day we were hunter gatherers so yeah, actually it was night time when we were almost like camped out that it was safer mm. to to give uh, mm. to feed baby more during the daytime we might have had to do more short frequent feeds mm. um so it kind of makes sense as to why our hormone levels are that much higher at night um, but that's a really important time to express to help stimulate and maintain or increase milk production mm. but if you're in that situation um, a hospital grade pump is amazing. So there are ones that you can buy. The Spectra hospital grade pump is um, the more reasonable end of the scale. So it could be that you consider buying that instead of buying mm -hmm. something like one of the Medela ones um, or, or any other brand. Um, mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can hire them and you yeah. can get higher. You can hire for about you know, 30 to 40 pounds a month. If you shop yeah. around. A lot of them offer next day delivery and also yeah. some maternity units will also actually offer pumps for hire. Um, I think I know that there's been it's been very difficult during COVID, um, mm. but the the pumps have still been available for hire. I think they're more um, centralised where pumps are available from. Um, I think beforehand, some of the um, place like Ardo had sort of some local um, right, I see. People yes, who were holding pumps to express, but uh, pumps to rent out. But mm. then, because the pumps were needing a deep clean in between each rental, they centralised it. But I think they're just beginning to look at localising it again and having mm. local people with pumps. That obviously means that they can get to you that bit quicker. Um, so if you've got a mum then that's wanting to or sorry if you've got a parent then um, who's wanting to breastfeed or chest feed in the long term and they're not actually wanting to do expressing in the long term literally their plan was to just directly breastfeed from the breast and that's what they want to get back to as quickly yeah. as possible yeah. then their best bet would be to hire a hospital grade breast pump for a short yes. period of time and yeah. try and just pump as much as they can really and yeah. to maintain that supply yeah and there's lots of advice um in both Lucy's book and online generally about um expressing there's a brilliant one um, yeah information um page that we can link to from a website called breastfeeding support which is from a uk-based ibclc called philippa pearson glaze an um, excellent website that one it is amazing really she, good uh, every week and roughly what she does is she has this library of articles and practically every week there's a new either a new article or an article that she's updated 
um you know it's it's amazing the amount of effort and time it must take her to do these things oh. um she and also they're so has, good they're yeah. so comprehensive yeah they're so informative and in fact i know because we mentioned um breast compressions earlier and we should link to her we'll link to her page on breast compressions as mm. well because that it is so clear it's got wonderful videos and it's as accessible for us as it is for parents um to be able to use and read up on and things okay so if they want to be expressing then can i just throw in a little note which i'm sure you were planning to say but as yeah. someone who has personal experience of this it's this called triple feeding isn't it when you're yes. um yeah. when you're feeding baby by bottle or by cup you're directly feeding them at the breast and you're pumping and expressing your breast milk and as someone who has had to do this oh my god is it exhausting and yeah. i think like you literally cannot overestimate how hard this is for the parent yeah. and anyone no. who has to do this has my admiration and respect yeah. because it is just exhausting so yeah it's around helping them to cope with that in the short term isn't it and yes. if that is what they want yeah. to do you know who have they got around them that can support them yeah setting their expectations that they're not going to be able to do other things right now exactly. this is going to be a case of your work is the feeding or yeah. you know if there's somebody who can support you with doing the top up while you're expressing or yeah you know what would work to make this yeah. manageable for you and also oh, knowing no, that it's not forever and yeah. that this is a journey and they'll be able to see how gradually as their milk supply builds through the expressing yeah. baby will be taking more from the breast and will need less of the top up exactly. and then they'll There's be able to be... express less so it's, yeah. it's that they'll be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel kind of yeah thing. completely well I mean yeah I mean I had my own triple feeding yes, experience course, as well we so it's mm. like yeah we've both we're both very well aware and I think it's that thing of when you've actually been in those shoes yeah you it know. gives you that extra level of empathy um yeah. and I think that actually brings on really nicely to the fact that that um yeah there are ways that you can minimize the impact of triple feeding but yeah. again it does take having that expert support so mm. I think um some of the things we might discuss um come on to discuss now aren't going to be standard things that you are able to do as a health visitor with your caseload but if you have, um, if you're fortunate enough, um, as I was in my last trust, to have an IBCLC working with you, mm. um, doing a specialist clinic, they might be able to establish these things for mm. you. And again, mm. it's another argument as to like, look, you know, actually breastfeeding yeah. is a, a real specialism. Let's um, fight for and this actually in our by trust, having, yeah. you know, by fighting for having that specialist support and advice on hand, we can actually make things work a lot smoother for ourselves and for the parents as well yeah so as you mentioned there is this triple feeding thing and I think this is how as well parents can end up falling into the top-up trap because yes. it's just exhausting it is that thing of you know you feed the baby you have to give them top up you then have to express for the top up and especially in the early days that can take yeah oh well over an hour possibly oh an yeah hour by the half. time you've finished expressing and baby's either ba the next yeah. feed <laughs> yeah and e either baby's gone through a sleep cycle anyway or they're they're waking because they're they're mm. on these really frequent feeds and things it is so tough so so tough um and yeah, i know my husband when we were doing triple feeding with our daughter in the very very early days it kind of wasn't until we went to our kind of 
NCT group reunion mm. um, that he realized that that hadn't been the experience for everyone mm. he just presumed this was what happened this was what everyone had to do oh, gosh. Um, mm. and because I don't think I'd even been able to because I'd been in that whole process of right yep this is what we're doing then yeah um, yeah yeah I'm able then. to explain we're to him this, that this is actually yeah. yeah this is actually really <laughs> different to what I was even expecting as well yeah um and so yeah a few different things because I mean tarts don't always have to mean a bottle okay so you can do um and this is something which you know you can ask your you know ask for help ask for you know inquire with your infant feeding leads with your teams about can we adapt these can we mm. use these methods mm. so things like cup feeding you know with a little tiny a, a small cup with some of the top up in and you have the the cup level with the baby's lower lip and you're tipping it just so that the milk is level with the top lip and they actually almost like the tongue comes out they lap it up like a cat it's so and it's cute amazing it is so it. cute and at first you kind of think oh god it's going to take ages for them to do this and it's amazing how quickly they can go they through the chop up when they're lapping yeah. it up um also um you can do finger feeding so you get um and you can do this either with a kind of what they call um lactate isn't it is the the brand isn't it where you have the sort of the bottle of milk with the straws coming off of it yeah and you can have sns this, yeah a supplementary nursing system and you can easily do a homemade one um so our um ibclc and in my own private practice i've used these using an ng tube and you yeah. just nip the um the teat and have the tube pass through use quite a short bottle for this otherwise you lose all the length of the tube in the bottle I had yeah, parents yeah. the other day trying to offer me a 240 mil bottle for this I was like that's not going to work if you've got something a bit smaller <laughs> yeah yeah the smallest um, one you've got please yeah it's like 240 mil bottle by the time the tube comes out it's like okay so that's gonna you're gonna have no room at all um but yeah the tube comes out and you can either tape the tube to you know, the pad of your little finger and then encourage baby to sort of suck on your finger and as they're sucking it's like siphoning so the milk goes through the brilliant thing with this is that they are in complete control of the flow yeah. because as soon as they kind of ease up on the sucking the milk goes and they can yeah. take their own pauses so I was doing, uh, helping a mum with this the other day and it was interesting watching the baby sort of take the pause take a moment then back on it again yeah and it's helping to pace the feed a bit easier also with the SNS you can actually use it as an at the breast supplementer and yes. this is where it gets really amazing this is something which I think we should be doing as doing standard more. for triple yeah. feeding families yeah, because it's at, at the breast or chest as the baby is feeding the tube is either taped to the breast and the tip of the tube just finishes at the nipple so no sharp proddy bits or sometimes it works well if baby latches and you can always pass the tube into the baby's mouth as they're yeah. already latched and feeding. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that ha means that the baby is getting the top up at the same time as being at the breast. Mm. The huge benefits for this, apart were time saving for one. Mm. Also, it means that there's increased stimulation at the breast mm. for a baby who is maybe only taking a couple of sucks at the breast and isn't lazy but is just preserving their energy because for whatever reason they've not got they're not generating the flow of milk yeah. that they would like 
um, having the top up at the breast via the supplementer means that it's that increased stimulation. They have that increased drive to continue sucking and mm. because they're sucking at the breast, they're increasing stimulation, which then in turn increases the amount of milk that's transferred, mm. which in turn increases the amount the breast is emptied, which in mm. turn increases the amount of milk the, bo- mom, the, the parent's body is making for them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so really it's just so much of, better for so many reasons definitely definitely but obviously as you said you are going to need a specialist to help you do that like I as yeah. you know with the training I've had as a health visitor who's had UNICEF and you know breastfed myself and as much breastfeeding training as I can lay my hands on I've had yeah but you know I'm not as I'm certainly no breastfeeding specialist um I no. wouldn't attempt to try and introduce an SNS because I know there are details around like where you position the tube like um you know obviously you don't want it in the corner of the mouth and things like that and and, and how far out it sticks and I would be cautious about recommending it and and doing it myself with a family aside from the time yeah it would require to do exactly exactly it takes a bit of time to teach to um train and teach it is that thing where it's like any other nursing clinical skill you know yes that you need to be careful with them but actually you become very adept at them and all of us you're competent that's great and you should do it but if you're not competent then don't attempt it exactly which again is the same as yeah which again is the same as any nursing thing on your first day on any ward you're not going to know how to do all of those particular skills but you you learn them yeah and I think that's always what we need to do with this one we need to make it something where it is a nursing skill that we learn to use yeah well and having IBCLCs in the teams would do that it would help to upskill the team so definitely yeah yeah um great so if but if you are doing the bottle feeds if they are sort of if parent preference is to use the bottles if if for reason you're maybe hanging on to see a specialist um or you were going to say sorry if they're not able necessarily to express the volume that you've calculated yes. baby's going to need in the early days. Yeah, so sometimes yeah. you have to start by doing as much EBM as you can get. Yeah. And then the rest of that amount. So if you've said it's going to be 40 mils after yeah. every feed or whatever, you might only get 10 mils or five mils even yeah. in the early days to start with. And you might have to do 35 mils of formula. But yeah. gradually, if you continue to stimulate the breast and express at every feed, your breast will learn to produce exactly. the amount that your baby needs and you'll see the amount of top up that's yeah. EBM I mean, going up. Obviously for a very, very small day. proportion of people, they have hyperplasia or what we call insufficient glandular tissue, or there might be um there's a few different Other things reasons. that can go on, low thyroid, um, if you have um hypothyroidism or yeah. if they've lost a huge amount of blood during delivery there is yeah. a risk of them having Sheenan syndrome where the pituitary gland pretty much doesn't work so in those cases again it might be that they're looking at longer term using formula but you can use formula and do all of those methods we just talked about yeah so the finger feeding the sns um, it can still be cup feeding milk. can all be done with formula milk it doesn't have to be express breast milk and um, there are reasons to do that aren't there in terms of bottle preference is there some suggestion that, that yeah so there is that? always this ongoing suggestion of and it's it's not so much bottle preference it's flow preference and yeah, so again okay. this is why if you're using um if you're using a bottle you need to be um or if, if a parent is using a bottle you need to teach them these pace techniques 
Mm -hmm. So having the bottle as horizontal as possible. Now we all know, I think if we did a straw poll as to what the most popular brand of bottle we see parents using is, chances are it would be the one that describes itself as closer to nature. I think yeah, initially yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it was when it was out, I think they, they described it as being, you know, close to the breast. Yeah. It's only close to the breast if you encourage babies just to latch at the nipple and not the whole breast. Um so yeah. It's that frustrating where we see all these parents with these wonderful wide necked bottles that are allegedly just like their breasts. Although I'm sure most mums look at them going, God, I wish. Yeah, you know, my breast is not like that. that. <laughs> it's like not that perky before baby, let alone now. Um, <laughs> and um, and actually, yeah, they are appalling for doing paste feeding because you have to tip them up so high that it ends up you can't help but end up with the teat filled with milk yeah so if someone is asking you about bottles obviously especially to be bfi compliant unicef compliant yeah there's not a brand really that we recommend there is nothing no. that is closer to the breast or anything no matter what yeah. gidgets and whismos they put in there um gidgets and whismos i think i meant oh, I liked it. gizmos no, and I widgets think, then yeah and no, no, i think we'll stick with gidgets and whismos i like fair that. enough fair enough absolutely I, that's my gift to the english language for this week <laughs> <laughs> but um but no what they're looking for is um long slender bottles okay um and actually even the orthodontic teats which i think a lot of people used to go oh yeah orthodontic teats are all the thing obviously there is a place where sometimes they are needed but yeah. if you look at the shape of them you don't want mum's nipple i was just about shape. to say that you don't want your nipple to look like that <laughs> yeah it's like you're needing they, they're needing to get used to that idea of squashing something between the roof of the mouth and the thing with the orthodontic teats is that they're already pre-squashed yeah so the baby's gonna get quite used to having quite a narrow gape yeah for that um and so yeah so really a fairly long slim teat yeah and literally milk just to the top lip so if you imagine you know how ships have the pencil line as to where water sits on them oh yeah yeah, i, know. I might be going a bit off scale here no i know what you bit, mean this is useful got, actually yeah, because bit kind I of think QI. This is something people worry so about if you imagine the top lip is baby's water line baby's pencil line uh -huh. if there is milk to just above the top lip in the teeth in the teeth then physics says how can they get in because they are pulling the milk in but at the same time they are they are pulling it in at their own pace and okay. they have control over the flow more if the tea is absolutely full of milk and perpendicular to baby yeah. then it's just going to be dripping in and they're going to feel like they're being waterboarded and they're just going to be glugging away and that's how you get babies clearing yeah. bottles so quickly and that's how you get babies who are taking god knows how much after an enormous Volumes. feed and then we end up with a refluxy baby who's very uncomfortable and overfull yeah. or yeah. a really really super sleepy baby that's actually very difficult to rouse which might be risky from a SIDS perspective exactly and the other thing with paste feeding as well is to consider that, you know, we're also following following baby's cues as to whether yeah. they're full up or not. And yes, we may have calculated a top up to be I don't, 30 mils after every feed, but especially if you're offering breastfeeds in between times or yeah, if you're offering the breastfeed first, then 
you know, there's going to be a fluctuation in how well they take the breasts. I know from mm. families that there are particular times a day that baby might be more on it and have mm. eager to feed and they seem mm. to feed a lot longer. Mm. Babies very rarely feed exactly the same amount of time throughout the day. Mm. But it's that thing of looking at, you know, taking you know sort of tech following their lead if they've had a really good breastfeed they may well not need as much of a top up and mm -hmm. don't stress you know, the top it's that thing where you know that if they're having some top up then brilliant they're increasing that they're increasing that volume of what they have taken yeah but we need to be clear to parents that it's it's a recommendation for it's not an absolute they must have this much because mm. there may be a really good reason that baby's actually slowing down not wanting that last bit mm. and if we force that that parent if we encourage parents to force them to have that extra bit then mm. actually we may end up with a baby who's overfull, who's then sleeping longer who's then less keen to go to the breast and is actually mm. completely defeating everything we were trying to put in place yeah 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 and also I suppose um we all feel like you say we all take different amounts sometimes I'm really hungry and I have a huge meal and other times I only want a little snack and that's not necessarily dictated by anything other than my internal body and yeah. the only person who knows that is the baby so unless they're consistently not taking the milk and continuing to not gain weight and you're continuing to see the same faltering growth issues that you've had then let the baby be your guide and if they don't want it all then that's fine yeah definitely and what about if they want more what about if they get to the end and then they want more would you suggest giving more top up or would you suggest going back to the breast at that point or does it depend um, on the child and the baby it depends on the child to be fair if they had a top up and they wanted more my inclination would be to suggest offering the breast again mm. because then what you're doing is you're, you're you're sandwiching so you're increasing again the um, availability of breast milk and the mm. stimulation and everything mm. also you're then enabling baby to get that feeling of being really full and really satisfied at the breast mm. which again works wonders both for your own feelings and for for kind of for baby to get that kind of awareness of mm. oh yeah cool and also you know towards the end of a feet it may also be that actually they're not so much hungry now they may just be wanting to to have that, that closeness. bit of closeness that non-nutritive suckling which we know can have a stimulative effect but at the same time really um really help calm them down help them connect with you and things um, i guess it makes it go to the breast doesn't it yeah, go to then becomes the breast for the definitely. parents psychologically i imagine that's powerful yeah and probably helps them to avoid that top-up trap exactly and it's that thing where also you know if they've had a good feeder if they've been at the breast they've had several um bursts at both breasts of active suck swallow pause mm. suck swallow mm. pause um and yeah they, and then they've had a a half or three quarters or maybe even a full top up then you know depending on the age you know, think about their tummy size um mm. i've actually got some tummy balls now these gorgeous crochet tummy balls that show how quickly baby's tummy goes from sort of cherry size on day one to kind of the size of a peach stone by day three to you know and then it's got one week and one month mm. and by a month old the tummy is sort of 60 mils or so in capacity mm. on average but yeah that's 60 mils so if they're at the breast taking these active suck swallow um pause sequences like two or three times on each breast and then having a 30 mil top up chances are they're not going to be hungry they're wanting set to settle they're wanting to comfort 
Yeah, but which is very valid hungry. reason to yeah. breastfeed. And so it's actually mm. that thing of being really wary of um, overly chopping up because you can actually then end up with it swinging the other way and baby's then really wakeful because actually they're over full <laughs> and they're really windy and they're kind of mm. like, blow me, heck, you know. Yeah, and so it's that thing of, yeah. And I think because, especially when weight gain's faltering, it becomes a real focus and a real point of, yeah, it's that thing that feels beyond parents' control. And so it's something where the constant worry is going for anything and everything. It's going to be, oh my word, this is not right. This is happening. Yeah, Yeah. they're hungry. Um, When actually it could just be they're a bit overwhelmed, a bit overtired. Yeah, sure. Um, just, and, want know, cuddle, just want a cuddle, just want that closeness. And either, you know, if you're able to have a bit of skin to skin with them, great. Yeah, because skin to skin isn't just for um, Christmas. It's not just for those early days. Yeah. It's at any point in your journey. I mean, blimey, even now with my kids when they're older, and even yeah. if it's just our arms or, you yeah. know, tummy yeah. to tummy, a bit of skin to skin, you're literally pulling our t shirts up and having our skin yeah. connect as we cuddle. It can really help to center and calm them down, you know. Um, I'm literally making a note to for us to do an episode on skin to skin because I love skin to skin. I'm so fascinated by it. Um, yeah. So I just think it's wonderful. So I'm, I've I've made a note. So there will be one coming, guys. Excellent. On skin to skin specifically. Cool. Um, but you can do skin to skin if you're bottle feeding. Yes. You know, oh yeah, yeah, there's yeah. All yeah. these yeah. things about kind of nurturing um, at the breast and um, breast nurturing. Yes. for it being about the comfort and the skin to skin and the yeah. temperature regulation and the control of the heartbeat and the control Completely. of the everything else and, yeah. and just that hormonal boost and all the yeah. things that are wonderful about skin to skin if they're forming if they're exclusively formula feeding you can still do skin to skin with every feed yeah. and you know if the parents want to do that then that is brilliant for the child yeah. so yeah so whatever they're topping up with they can still yeah. do the skin to skin so then we talk about you know and obviously the final thing to cover really is how and when and how to wean off so don't we talk have we actually talked what is the top-up trap because i don't think we've mentioned it but oh, i don't know if people might okay. just yep, in case no, anyone cool. listening doesn't actually know what it is no we talk about weaning off yeah so the top-up trap is um literally a big manhole you fall into we need to send a ladder down to climb you out and things now no, <laughs> um, <laughs> no so, a net that descends yeah. from the sky and, and scoops, scoops you, up. you up yeah, yeah. like in um so is it Tarzan always films seem to have that going on a lot is it I say that like I've watched a load of Tarzan films I think yeah yeah I know what you mean um (laughs) I remember George in the Jungle jungle... being in my childhood for sure oh there you go oh yes that was lovely yes wasn't it good yeah I mean being a bit older than you obviously I might have seen it in a slightly different light when uh, I think you did (laughs) from that voice to be honest Jen I think you did I think I was very much a child and enjoyed dancing around the living room going George George, George of the jungle jungle VIP meanwhile I just thought "Mm, Brendan Fraser hello (laughs) watch out for that tree Mm. I'll save you okay um, top up trap yeah so (laughs) roughly what can happen is um if you're doing the top ups or if you're suggesting to a parent that they do top ups and you are not um helping them 
um, maintain or increase their breast milk supply. So via the expressing, uh, not encouraging them to um, sort of follow cues to put baby at the breast, maybe a bit more frequently than they have been doing. Or if you're, uh, if parents are making baby take all of the top up, um, yeah. even when baby is showing cues that they are full up already, then what you're actually doing is then um, reducing how much of breast milk they're going to be taking how keen yeah. they are to go to breast and what can happen is you fall into this trap where because the breasts aren't being emptied frequently the site actually starts to dwindle production slows okay there's nothing that's going to make production of milk slow down more than a very full breast mm. okay so if the breasts are actually full baby's not really going to the breast to empty them because baby's actually still really full up from the last top up mm. um, and they're not using an electric pump or anything then what gradually happens is you this trap of oh my god the baby's hungry give it a top up and it's still getting hungrier the because the milk's not there and the supply and so the top ups increase exactly exactly um, and so you end up with them giving more and more formula milk and before you know it um the family are now sort of finding themselves fully um yeah. fully bo bottle feeding when their plan feeling, was actually to do the breastfeeding and perhaps feeling just so defeated by that like I've met so oh, many completely. parents who will tell me he doesn't want my breast he doesn't want yeah. to feed from me or she hates breast milk she prefers formula and yeah. I just think that's so heartbreaking and if you're a parent who wanted to breastfeed how must that experience feel to you that must yeah. feel really like a rejection and really quite painful, you know, um, and it's, that's such a difficult thing. We know breastfeeding is such a psychological game anyway, um, but parents can really lose confidence in their supply, especially if their child's had faltering weight. So it's really important to help support them to know that actually their breast milk is still there and still valid yeah. and still really important and bringing them to the breast is still yeah. massively good for lots of reasons and that's, it's about yeah, that confidence completely that and it's that thing where it is even when it feels like they are heading down a one-way street towards mm -hmm. um, formula there are still options there are still little turn-offs to be able to go yeah, and do a bit sure. of a u-turn or even just to add yeah just to combine and to add a bit more breastfeeding in and so much of this is to do as you mentioned with parental confidence with helping to boost their confidence to remind them of you know the benefits of feeding and to encourage them as well you know it's that thing where yeah, we know that shows even just 50 mils of breast milk a day. Yeah, that's such a good starting point. If a parent can even consider that they could actually offer 50 mils of, of yeah, breast or human milk a day across the course of those feeds they're offering, then that's an amazing point to start with. And they can then look at go at, you know, look at whether they want to do some expressing, whether they want to just try and work on on doing maybe one or two breastfeeds a day and then top-ups um, yeah. or you know um, sort of alternative um, milk feeds yeah. you know it's that work, working around what the parent needs and if, and if you consider it you know and it is that thing where there is um, Professor Amy Brown mm -hmm. has done a lot of work on breastfeeding grief and a lot of it yeah. around this sort of thing about top-up traps and how how it can you know we really need to be aware that it can actually have a big mood and you know stopping breastfeeding 
can actually massively impact the, the big changes that happen in hormones yeah. can actually bring on sort of depression like symptoms and or depression yeah, and yeah, you know, grief for what they were hoping they were going to do and where they've ended yeah. up sure. um, so it's really a consideration to make and to, for them to feel in control of that decision and, and not to feel like exactly. it's spiralled away from them without them wanting to. So yeah. obviously we know that combi feeding in the long term, mixed feeding formula and expressed, um, sorry, formula and breast milk directly is wonderful and great for all the reasons that you said it, it provides that level of benefits even a very small amount of breast milk can still give very significant benefits each day yeah and you know that you might have a parent who has said you know what we've given up on breast milk for the nutrition and I want to give the baby just formula for the nutrition because I want to know that they're getting enough and they might have decided they've been along this journey and they've decided that's what they want to do and that's their plan and that's their goal and that's wonderful um, but they might still want to do breast nurturing so they may still want to bring baby to the breast for lots of other reasons so yeah. if the baby's had a feed and they've had their nutrition and you know that you know that they're not hungry they're gaining weight well they may still want to breastfeed you may still want to put them to the breast they might get a swallow of breast milk here and there they might yeah. not get any breast milk but they may still want to just feed at the breast to do that non-nutritive sucking for all those yeah. other reasons and that's a valid reason if they've you know fallen over and bumped themselves or they're upset or they're scared yeah. or you know they're recovering from their injections or they're yeah. tired or whatever other reason you might want to get them to sleep or they might be poorly and want that little bit of extra comfort or yeah whatever you can still feed at the breast even if they're not getting any milk that's still a valid yeah. thing to do um listen to also our episode with um, lucy riddle on this as well because we've got an yes discussion. yeah uh, and would the really other thing, go well with this episode yeah and i mean well lucy's other book on which is on relactation mm. would also be a useful one to consider having sure, in your yeah. kind of your library as a, a potential resource for for families who are looking at doing this and then we kind of finally come on to you know if, if things have gone well then how to look at weaning off top ups so if you if they're wanting to wean off then yeah if they're wanting to wean off yeah how do we go about that so it could be that you're advising parents to stop doing top ups because baby's now back up over birth weight and um that it was just a short-term measure um and again you know at this sort of point you'd be looking at encouraging them to maximize um, human milk breast or chest mm -hmm. feeding and how to do that so it might be you're then discussing with them about yeah, breast compressions you're then going over with them again about what effective breastfeeding looks like mm -hmm. um, and I think the diagram in the UNICEF training um, is really useful on that front with like the dotted line with the big lines for the big sack swallows and then the short yes. lines for the flutters and that, re that is such a clear graphic that makes parents kind of go oh right and the penny then drops with them um it could also be that um it could be that and, and yeah it's that discussion with parents about where they're at as well yeah. It might be that they want to continue the frequency of the top ups, but reduce the volume. It might be that babies actually started taking less with each top up Naturally. anyway. Yeah. Um, and it might be that then actually you can encourage parents to take that next step of maybe dropping alter, yeah, alternate top ups. Um, parents can often be really concerned. They often get into a bit of a thing of, 
but it's the bottom, it's the top up that then makes the baby sleep. It's the top up that yeah, if I don't do the top up, they stay awake and they're really awake. And okay. So it yeah. could be a case of working with them on that and actually, you know, well, actually maybe we reduce how much they're having in the top up, but then you can put them back to the breast again and then they can yeah, get yeah, that yeah. fullness, that feeling, you know, sandwiching again, that feeling, you just mentioned that feeling of feeling full and content at the breast. And um, the parents seeing them falling off the breast with that milk drunk expression, yeah, you know, oh, really exactly, full and contented. Exactly. That's such a feeling of pride the first time that happens. Yeah. Lovely Catherine Stagg has got a brilliant page on the um, Breastfeeding Twins and Triplets website yeah. about dropping top-ups, which is a really useful thing for um to signpost parents to and to use yourself. Um, because of twins and triplets often being born um a bit earlier and a bit smaller them. they often need mm. the top-ups and so it's such such a common occurrence mm. and she also has this brilliant um sort of breastfeeding assessment score about um whether to whether the baby needs to have the top-up or not and I've actually shared this with parents professionally recently who had um kind of fallen into a top-up trap where they were so certain the top-ups were needed and right. actually and everything was pointing everything was yeah. pointing towards the baby not needing them okay. <laughs> but it's that so, confidence thing isn't it like you say exactly. so it's useful to have something that's that's actually maybe down on paper that they can compare exactly. for themselves and see yeah and so it talks about you know in if baby is offered the breast but not interested and sleepy if they're interested in feeding but they don't latch if they latch onto the breast but come off and fall asleep Mm-hmm. um then they are offered a full top up okay if they latch but the sucking is kind of a bit uncoordinated or they've got these frequent long pauses mm-hmm. then offer half a top up and it says then but also consider not topping up if mother is available for another breastfeed the baby mm-hmm. may wake up earlier mm-hmm. if baby latches well has long, slow, rhythmical sucking and swallowing, but it's a short feed, like under 10 minutes, mm-hmm. then maybe look at doing half a top up mm-hmm. or not to top up if mum's available for the next feed. Mm-hmm. If the baby latches well, has long, slow, rhythmical sucking and swallowing, and it's a long feed, like over 10 minutes, then no top up. Okay. okay. And it even includes kind of, yeah, it says about how, you know, ideally, if the top up is needed, it's preferable that it's expressed breast milk um, and, you know, and to also allow baby to sort of nuzzle at the breast. Um, we talk about the rhythmical sucking and swallowing. It's a short mm-hmm. period of rapid sucking, followed then onwards by the slower, deeper jaw movements with a suck swallow ratio of one to two sucks per swallow yeah. in bursts of about 15 to 30 sucks and audible swallows before a brief yeah. pause and you yeah, expect baby to remain attached to the breast throughout these suck swallow breathe bursts until satisfied yeah. and it was actually it was a, actually a scale that was um it was adapted by a scale used at queen charlotte's hospital skaboo in london okay lovely well thank you that's really useful to put in okay so we talked a little bit about weaning there and and i guess what you're saying really is that it's very personalized that each baby and mum and it it depends on what they want to do and how they want to do it and how quickly they want to go I guess and and really how working with them and alongside them to build that confidence in yeah 
the breast as the source of baby's nutrition if that's the way they want to go if that's what they want yeah, to do in the long definitely. term definitely and it's a tricky one because I think yeah if we go reflect back on those the nice guidelines for our faltering growth and there's a lot of talk about you know setting plans review dates extra yeah. action to take if all doesn't go well and mm. I think we can quite quickly become quite intimidated in a, a feeling like oh my god we've got to get this baby up to birth yeah up to weight as soon as there has to be improvement seen now and I think we can sometimes yeah. yeah and I think sometimes we can end up forgetting that we're dealing with a dynamic relationship here and to actually have that confidence to mm. involve the parents and that confidence to be you know to be aware that actually you may not see enormous brilliant improvements very quickly things may need to be reviewed to fine-tune them it's it could be there is extra stuff going on that is making it more of a challenge mm. for them mm. um and to be just really clear you know for yourselves about do you have the pathways in place in your mm -hmm. teams in your trusts to mm. really be able to to manage this effectively yeah and I suppose also coming back to what we said at the beginning resolving the actual problem that's caused the need for the top-ups in the first place so another yes. example of weaning the time to wean might be when you know you've identified what that problem is you've resolved it you're confident that you know things are improving in terms of the actual direct breastfeeding and mom is now ready to say actually I've had the tongue tire divided or you might be working on learning to use a tongue that's sort of flopping about and all yes. of those types of yeah, issues completely. you know you've resolve the problem and now we're ready to start looking at getting yeah. back to what our original goal was all that time ago and it might feel quite challenging for the parents so it's it's being emotionally attuned to that as a professional and not just going right okay you can drop the top-ups now then okay yeah bye. yeah you know, and also, need you know knowing, yeah and also knowing that you know things like especially with the case of tongue tie I know we did tongue tie episode ages back didn't we did I um, think it's a good one still though yeah but it's that thing of realizing that actually it can still take tongue tie is often not the end or tongue tie um frenulectomy is often the next part of the story it's not the yeah. end of the story yeah you there is still also often work to do with that yeah yeah and so, also you know it could be that you're looking at the top ups becoming a permanent thing you know if whatever reason you know mum you know parent is in that one to two percent of the population who who can't effectively you know make enough milk yeah, or you know for whatever reason yeah. that the combi feeding is something they're looking at doing long term then yeah, it's that yeah. thing of how to how to get it to where they want it to be and how to support them with that yeah yeah okay and so I mean we haven't talked about um donor milk so I want to just talk about that briefly no, because yes. we haven't mentioned that as an option and I know a yeah. lot of people might think of that um, purely as an option for um, perhaps preemie babies that are in the NICU um, but is it available more broadly for families so hard isn't it Sorry, it is I'm giving really you all the hard questions. yeah yeah no so <laughs> so it's something which is always worth investigating mm. um, so I mean Hearts Milk Bank uh, if you're not following them already on social media please do give yeah. them a follow um, because brilliant. they are amazing and they are also leading the way in actually doing breast um, breast milk research so yeah. they are the guys who have helped to show how amazingly breast milk does not ever turn to water it still has nutritional value beyond six months beyond stage. a year yeah mm. um it's their research that's that's coming to fruition on that 
um, and they would be able to advise. So I mean, there are lots of, and I think that there is a cost involved, but I think it is literally the cost of transporting milk to yourselves. Um, okay. And they are also always looking out for donors. It's worth, yeah, if you are in this position where you've been expressing and actually you know top yeah, ups are losing yeah. and you're in that flow still of um of pumping and mm -hmm. you're, you're thinking well actually what can i do um mm. it's worth talking to them about whether you can donate um they have centers i think it's predominantly south the south and east of the uk mm. they're based but there are other milk banks and they would you, you they would be able to link you in with your local milk bank as well so that milk that's um, from Hearts Milk Bank then, do yeah. you work with families generally that, um, or Hearts Milk Bank or other NHS approved kind of milk banks like yeah. that, um, rather than informal milk sharing, which is a different thing, isn't it? So do you work with families that don't have premature or sick babies on the NICU, but are using those types of milk banks? Or is this, the supply really restricted to the point supply that we're only able to give it to the poorly? Um, so while most of the milk is um, provided to, to NICUs, they do also in their stories on here about um, on their website about mum with MS who has had milk yeah. supplied. I know as well of um, cases where mum has um, either had cancer or is undergoing treatment and they've been able to um, offer donations. Yeah. Um, They've got um, a section as well that says that they aim to recruit enough donors and process enough milk that other patient groups, including um, full term babies, can benefit when their own mother's milk is not available. So that includes babies who've undergone bowel or cardiac surgery, those who have mothers undergoing chemo or with illnesses yeah. that can make breastfeeding impossible and babies with terminal conditions who can't tolerate other food. So they're really, I suppose, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had enough donor milk? to be able to give it to healthy full-term diets oh, crumbs, yeah. um, I mean, but uh, we're not at that stage so they no. have to target it at where it can do the most yeah. good I suppose and I think, I think maybe we should add to the list trying to contact Natalie Schenker who's the doctor behind Hearts Milk Bank for a, a podcast episode because I think we could do it doing an episode just about this sure um, I'll put it on the I'll put it on the thing so yeah we also could actually do a whole episode on it yeah because interestingly on here it does also say about there is a, a, a case of a mum who baby was two days old she had badly cracked nipples she felt her milk supply wasn't keeping up with baby's needs and long discussion with community midwife she phoned the heart's milk bank and the milk banks ibclc so they actually have their own ibclc's drove out that afternoon was diagnosed with a tongue tie and given advice about hand expressing and who could divide the tongue tie and she they started giving 10 to 20 mils of donor milk um, via a supplementary nursing system. Half a litre of donor milk was supplied and Steph went wow. on to exclusively breastfeed and she's still breastfeeding now eight, eight months later. Okay, lovely. So, so it's I suppose there are actually, cases then maybe. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's just I know um, having heard um, um, Dr. Nathalie Schenker speak before, her big aim is to um so i should say natalie is the doctor behind hearts milk like she's established yes. it she leads on the research um yeah around wonderful. it and things and um she said you know her her aim is to make milk banks as common and as sort of normal as blood banks yeah which would be amazing yeah and because I, I know in until hiv 
um, fears and things came along. And it's funny, we always, yeah, we think now a lot about how much COVID has changed the world. And actually, there's been several things over the years, yeah, yeah. medically related, that have caused uproar, you know, because HIV, HIV and AIDS um, led to the closure of yeah, most hospitals' milk banks. Mm. So, I mean, back in the very, very early 80s, my mum was donating to her local mm. hospital milk bank. Mm. Um, and it's funny because I didn't even know about that. And then you suddenly go, oh, wow, okay, that mm. was a thing then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'd be good to get back to that. Is that obviously donor milk will always be preferable in terms of the baby's biological needs to formula milk. Um, it might be that the parents would prefer formula. They may have reasons personally for preferring formula over donor milk. Um, and some people feel more comfortable with it than others do. And we could talk about that in terms of the societal implications yeah perhaps how that has developed um you know um we could talk about that for quite a long time I imagine yes <laughs> so probably. perhaps don't need to get into that not <laughs> save right that for now. the um <laughs> the episode on milk banks but I guess as well um there is also informal milk sharing so could we talk just very briefly about that because there might be health visitors who don't know about that as well yeah so there are websites that um I think especially on social media I think um the Facebook like page human milk yeah human milk I think for human babies I think it's yeah big. which is I mean mm. it's international isn't it it's amazing mm-hmm. um but there are yeah you have to be where slightly yeah the caveats with that are that you are going by the parents telling you being honest about their own health histories it is yeah. very much a kind of buyer beware situation almost yeah um yeah, yeah. but it, it is another option and yeah there are so many stories of how that has worked really well I mean equally we sometimes have it where mum might have a relative or a friend who has been breastfeeding yes. and expressing and has milk spare Office, and so yeah. yeah I mean it's like you know it's like for some guys that might be a bit of a kind of oh that's a bit icky but for others that can be really really lifeline yeah yeah yeah. it's funny you should say that actually um Jen because I had a friend offer when um my little one was three days old and we were readmitted and I was really upset at having introduced formula I had a friend offer and then we actually turned her down um and now knowing what I know and having the experience of breastfeeding that I have and having the kind of I suppose more comfort level with it yeah, um, yeah I would I would snap her hand off if we were to come into that situation again I would yeah. not I mean, you wouldn't even hesitate for even half a second um but at the time and and I'm a health visitor who's very bro, pro breastfeeding but there yeah. was something in me and in my partner um that went oh actually no I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that yeah um, so actually this is a, such a personal thing and, and really definitely um definitely quite tricky for people I think yeah but that Which, yeah again is is a thing that the people do yeah mm. yeah no I know there's so great. many yeah there's so many different sort of stories and variations I mean and yeah looking back on the history of wet nursing it's something that goes back yes centuries and things yeah yeah it shouldn't like... be strange to us but yet it really really is isn't it yeah. And I think there could be something tied with the kind of psychological element of feeding your baby and how personal yeah. that is to you. Um, well, it wouldn't surprise me. I think to some extent as well, there's still that element of how much breasts have become so sexualized in our culture. And I think there is that definitely plays into it as well. Because, mm. mm. um, yeah, I mean, I've heard before about, um, a te- I, I've seen stories of 
mums who were having difficulty with baby latching and having a friend with an older baby who was still nursing and the parents actually swapping babies and because for the 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 mum who had an older baby her supply was more established yeah and so she put her friend's younger baby to the breast it was the supply was there more rapidly and so they could get the hang of it and for the mum who was struggling to get supply established with her younger baby having an older nursling coming to the breast meant Mm. that yeah they they knew what to do and could they could stimulate help stimulate supply and things and it's like it's something which isn't for everyone and would I recommend it to everyone well no probably not but it's, it's not about recommending is it I suppose no. it's one of those situations where you find yourself in that scenario and it's as a as a person as a, a parent and you as a parent make that decision about what you feel comfortable with and what you don't but yeah. I think it's interesting for us as health professionals to have these conversations and know that these options and things are out there yeah um, yeah and perhaps you know certainly we should never be being judgmental of somebody who chooses something like that for their family and feel that it's right and we should always know ultimately um you know whatever our personal feelings and preferences are and our personal experiences of feeding are we should know that the evidence base is really strong here that human milk is infinitely preferable to formula for that baby so whatever way the parent has found to give human milk as long as they are aware of risks with informal milk sharing and potential um, problems that there could be from taking milk from someone you don't know. Um, You know, our role should be there as an informative role, not a judgmental role. Exactly. um, As with anything Um, else. And actually, I think when it comes to donor milk and thinking about, I think we were going to cover storage of express milk as well, weren't we? we? Yes, we were. So let's round up with with that quickly, because I think it's even more important, especially if you're receiving donor milk, is Mm. that thing of being aware of, has it been frozen? Has it just been in the fridge? When was it? Um, expressed you know when it's safe Mm. and I know milk that comes via Hart's milk bank has actually been through um, I think it's like high temperature sterilized or um, oh what's the word ultra heat treated treatment so it is to some extent it has slightly longer life than typical milk but if you're if you've got a parent who's expressing and they're like we don't know how to store it then the key things are it's a rule of sixes so six hours out on the the table six days in the fridge and six months in the deep freeze milk that's been expressed um on the same day can be stored together but only once it is at the same temperature so you can't express yeah so you can't express put it in the fridge express three hours later take the milk out the fridge and just pour the milk in that you've just expressed which is still at body temperature yeah so you always need to have a couple of bottles on the go to kind of chill both mix mix them them once it's chilled yeah and if storing in the freezer it's a really good idea to keep the portions that you're storing the milk in fairly small so ideally one to two ounce portions Mm. um, because there's nothing worse than defrosting five ounces of of hard-earned breast milk um and because yeah five ounces that's really what like yeah five ounces 150 mils yeah and then maybe only using sort of half of it 
and then yes yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of talk about um you could you know using express milk for milk baths and things but i think there's only so many milk baths you can do well um, and 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 has someone who has been in that situation as well of like i've got six months worth of express milk in the freezer it's now all gone out of date none of it's edible and i have to find something to do with it then yeah milk bath's great but you certainly don't want to end up in that situation <laughs> like you ideally want to use it if you can definitely <laughs> not definitely. pour it down the sink in one form or another you can also make balms and i've made nappy cream and stuff out of mine. oh lovely yeah you can do all sorts of cool it actually is pretty magic in terms of that yeah. stuff so even yeah. if you can't drink it you can always find a use for it somehow but brilliant um, but yeah, storage, If because if, if you've defrosted it, you have to use it within 24 hours, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Once it's defrosted. Cool. Well, I think we've covered a heck of a lot there. I hope oh, that this we? has been useful. Um, this is a monster episode. It's but I think what this thing... illustrates is that it's not as simple as, oh, just give the baby a bit of extra formula after they've finished fe- breastfeeding and then that'll be fine. I'll see you in a week's time. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But for now we will leave you be um so thanks ever so much for listening and as you said you appreciate it's a monster episode let us know um if this has been useful let us know if there's anything we've touched on so many things that we could actually go on to cover more in depth in other episodes so let Mm. us know what you would like us to um discuss and cover in more detail for you mm-hmm. um you can reach us on instagram at i am a hv on facebook we've got the i am a health visitor um, page or via email i am a health visitor at gmail.com and we would really love to hear from you um let yeah. us know what your thoughts are take care for now thanks for listening everyone bye bye, bye.